This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center, can't join us this week, but we will welcome one of our favorite bird watchers to the program. It's Steve Peterson. Bird watching groups are all buzzing about several eagle sightings around the state, so we thought this would be the perfect time to talk to Steve about his work with eagles, the health of the eagle population in the state, and some of the best places to see them here in Mississippi. You can join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Libby, let's uh, start off with some events going on around the state. Okay, yeah, lots of things. Uh, down on the coast, uh, and I'll remind you, you can, uh, if you do a search for MS Coast Audubon, you'll you'll find these uh, events and the first one that I'm talking about is this coming Saturday, February the 8th at Grand Bay, Savannah, and at the near. Mark Woodry's leading the field trip and they call it a sparrow sweep. They'll be banding sparrows and you can probably see where well, they hope to find Henslow sparrow and swamp sparrows, song sparrows, lacants, and um, of course anything else that happens to be out that day Mark can identify. But he does need to hear from you to get an idea of how many people. So um, go to MS Coast Audubon and let them know you're coming if you want to. And you can learn more about um, other field trips they have. And let's see, dinner and a dive at the Museum of Natural Science will be Saturday, February the 15th, which is another week, but you only have today and tomorrow to buy the tickets. They need to have time to um, plan the catered meal, and it is uh, always a very nice meal. I was there last year. It's um, uh, designed to be a date night for Valentine's Day. And it's your chance to eat with the fish, turtles, alligators, and um, have a really good meal and a very good time. You don't eat the same thing the fish and, do, uh, though. No, you okay. don't. Uh, uh, fortunately, I don't think that they're going to get, um, yeah, they're not going to get Amerigos, but you will. So, And it starts at 6 o'clock, but go ahead and get online and order your tickets the next couple of days if you want to go. And then Clinton Community Nature Center is an Arbor Day plant sale this coming Saturday, February the 8th, 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock. They've got a large variety of native plants, perennials, trees, and shrubs. And um, But I would say get there kind of early. You, I got there at the tail end last year, and there was not a whole lot left because um, it's a pretty successful plant sale. So get on out there and if you want to, if you want to, um, there were still things there, but I didn't get everything because I had a list. And uh, let's see, Master Naturalist class, Adam Ronke. And again, you can do a search for Master Naturalist, Mississippi Master Naturalist, I think is what you need to do there. And uh, the Mississippi Extension Service offers these classes. And it's a pretty intensive way to um, learn more about 
Mississippi's natural history, and there's a lot of things that they cover. Uh, it takes nine weeks, and it's pretty much all day on Tuesdays, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock on Tuesdays, starting March the 24th. But again, he wants to hear from you because he's making plans for what you do. You get um, some really good field trips, a couple of, I think, all-day field trips, and then maybe some shorter trips outdoors, and um, it's a lot of fun. And then Pearl River Keepers, a water chemistry and bacteriology monitoring for the Pearl River. They're going to start training in the spring, and you can go on their website or their Facebook. For, so that's Pearl River Keepers, and um, learn more about that. All right. Um, we've got a caller on the line early, so why don't we go ahead and say good morning to Anna, who's called in from Oxford. Anna, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Um I'm not usually able to listen to you because I'm always somewhere else on Thursdays. But um, uh, I have a question. Um, I have a, I assume, a bird's nest. It's about five feet off the ground in an Eliagnus bush. And it's, um, it, it's just twigs. It, it's, there's no lining or anything else. I mean, it looks like some basket woman has just come on and stuck a basket there. But it, it truly is a bird's nest. And it's about... Oh, I know, about a foot in diameter and um, probably about three inches deep. Any idea what sort of bird it could be? How, how high? It's Where about, is it? Yeah. About five feet off the ground. Now, usually uh, I see um, cardinals about five feet off the ground, but this is not a cardinal's nest. And de- um, close to a house, far away from a house, close to water? Uh, it's... Well, it's away from the house. I mean, there are houses around. We're in a suburb. Mm-hmm. I'm next to a- I'm next to Avent Park, so I'm, um, and I know we've got um, a, a group of hawks around, but it, hawks would be higher, I would think. I'd think something like maybe thrasher, mockingbird, uh, or may uh, it doesn't have any. There, there's nothing but sticks, you say. No yeah, mud lining no, or anything. There's no lining in it yet. Yeah, okay. I would, but it's. Be- See, I found it when I was trimming off the Eliagnus whips, and I was, you know, quite surprised because we don't usually have anything that mm-hmm. low. <laughs> you know, we uncovered some much smaller nests when we were trimming this year too, and it's it's remnants of last year's nests. Yeah. I would wouldn't that this be is, more like very than a new? very neat and tidy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it probably First, was last year's nest. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would think it would be a last year's nest, and it, and it sounds like something like a brown thrasher or maybe mockingbird. Uh-huh. Uh, it could even be a robin's nest that never really got uh, finished from last year. Yeah, it just it's so twiggy, <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah. what kind of surprised me. I, I figured it was maybe uh, more of a... Um, uh, uh, I can't think of it. Um, not, a, not. Are there such things as small um, raptors? <laughs> there, there are, but at the height you've suggested, yeah. like five feet, I don't think it would be a raptor. I think it would be those are much yeah. higher up. Yeah, we do have a lot of thrashers around, mm-hmm. and um, uh, a lot of robins, a lot of cardinals, and, and even blue jays. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> but um, and also the, you know the small um, birds the the um, uh, finches, et cetera, goldfinches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 got to be for a bigger bird. Yeah, that's. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like a t- 
to me, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a thrash or a mockingbird in you, that group. Do you think they will come back and finish it off? Uh, they may. It, uh, it, it just, you know, uh, it kind of depends the way things go. I don't, I've never personally seen one that, that I know was reused, but okay. that doesn't mean anything. That's just yeah. me. Well, I know wrens do that. They make several <laughs> several nests, and they keep coming back year after year. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, okay, well, I'll keep my eye out and see what they uh, they might be. All right. Yeah, let be. us know. Let us know if it's re-inhabited. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Anna, for your phone call. Yeah, I was thinking that it might be like a, a Jim Walter home where the birds mm-hmm. could move into a partially made-up nest and just have to do the finishing uh, parts of it there. Well, something else could possibly take it over, too. All right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a listener send us a recording of an unidentified bird along the coast. We were stumped, and we thought since it's Steve was here uh, that he might be able to help us figure out what it is. So I think our producer, Java, has the clip uh, queued up, so let's give it a listen again. So kind of a screechy sound there in the background. Uh, Steve, any any thoughts on what that might be? Well, I've listened. When I first heard it, I listened to uh, several different species that make sounds like that. My feeling is that it's a, probably a young great horned owl doing a begging call, which is... Uh, which I'm, I'm more familiar with uh, barred owls doing a similar type call, but it would less screech, more of a, a sort of an intake of a breath. But uh, you notice that it's a pretty regular beat. It just it's going fra fra fra, and that that lets the the parent owls know that they're where the young bird is, and the closer the a parent gets with food, the faster they they will go. As 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 the bird nears with the prey, uh, and cons- considering owls, you know, great horned owls probably already have young in the nest at this time of year. They they will start uh, nesting in January. Okay, there are famous photographs of great horned owls with young in the nest, and it's snowing. You know, gen- that's of course taken a lot farther north than we are. But that that's, after listening to several different possibilities, that's what I think it is. All right, and you're saying then it's also the young saying, hey, I'm hungry, come feed me. Exactly, and they say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the animal world's similar maybe to humans uh, in that instance. Uh, we need to take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we'll begin our discussion with our guest, Steve Peterson, about uh, eagles in the state. If you have a question or a comment, or if you've seen some birds and eagles or other wildlife that you'd like to tell us about, you can give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You can reach us at one 672 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this, so stay tuned. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. 
You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts at MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield and our guest for the hour, bird watcher Steve Peterson. We're talking about eagles of the state, where to find them, what they're doing this time of year, and other wildlife observations. You can join our conversation with a question or comment. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll dive into our conversation with Steve in just a minute, but we do have a couple of callers on the line, so we always like to get some input from those of you out there listening, and we'll start with Hillary, who's called in today from Laurel. Good morning, Hillary. Go ahead. Good morning. I was actually driving out of Quitman, headed toward um, the highway on that road where you can get back over to Whitesburg. But anyway, I was kind of shocked because when I was driving, I saw an eagle laying right in the middle of the road, and I kind of blinked hard thinking well wait a minute this can't be an eagle and it was huge to me i've never seen an eagle before but i noticed how big it's i guess you call them claws or feet or talons i don't know what you call them were huge and then i noticed that it had a white head and i'm thinking do they even come to mississippi so when y'all say call in i guess i was just trying to figure out maybe what it was doing because it wasn't like an animal or anything in the road but it was about a month ago well, yeah, uh, they. I, I, we're sitting here in Jackson, Mississippi, and if I was going to go and look for an eagle after I leave the studio here, I'd go across the street to Lafleur's Bluff uh, State Park. And we, in the past year, we've had, I've seen, and, and I'm not in there every single day, but we've seen two uh, eagles. Uh, one young one and one adult. And, you know, with the Pearl River, if there's a river near where you are, there's probably an eagle down there. They're pretty much a success story. When I was a kid, they were endangered. They couldn't even really reproduce due to DT, DDT getting into the into the eggs. Uh, so they, they spread around, and if they see something, there may be something like something dead on either side of the road that you were driving on. Uh, they have no shame. They don't mind going down there and grabbing carrion. You know, they'll they'll steal from other birds. They'll find if something's if something is there, they take the opportunity and then they'll go and eat and eat it. And another thing is, it is surprising to a lot of people just how big those things are. I mean, they are really big. Uh, they're kind of the T-Rex of our <laughs> local birds. And uh, uh, I've prepared some at the museum as, as uh, study skins and been covered up with uh, the wings, uh, especially of the female. Hillary, was this eagle, did it have its white head or was it, it a miniature? It did have a white head. Yeah. That's why I blanked. 
so quickly because I was thinking, oh my gosh, is this real? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I have uh, several times come close to hitting an eagle with a car. Uh, one time, oh. one of the first ones I ever saw was up at the reservoir, and it came out of, came off the side of the road and almost hit my car. All right, Hillary, thanks for the call. Good observation there to start us off. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines here for a few minutes. Next, we've got Clayton and Jackson. Clayton, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. Um, I, I was uh, delighted that y'all had the uh, mystery uh, bird, uh, which might have been a horned owl, I think, uh, was part of the speculation. Um, that, um, that exact call has been in my neighborhood uh, a bit, and I wasn't... Um, it was actually kind of scary, but um, what it turned out to be in my neighborhood, at least, it was a, was a fox. So that mm-hmm. is a fox call, um, <clears throat> and I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it right up in 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 uh, real life in person. Um, unless, at least in my experience, that's what that um, bird was. Uh, that bird is a red fox. That that's actually a a good point uh, because I had I didn't I didn't check mammals, mm-hmm. and so I'd be I'd be I'd go with a fox too because they they do sound like that. In fact, uh, uh, the if you ever watch any of the uh, English murder mysteries that PBS shows, uh, one of the calls at night when somebody's sneaking around doing dastardly deeds is is the uh, British tawny owl, which is kind of like our barred owl. And then there's uh, the uh, a fox call, which does sound like that. So, you know, I, I, I think you, you, you may, you're, you're on to something there. But we, you know, we do have foxes uh, all over the place here. Where I live, we've had both the red fox and the gray fox. And so I would, it does sound rather like a red fox. All right, uh, Clayton, thanks for your call. And I think, if I remember correctly, a couple of weeks ago when we first had this, there were some other listeners that called in with with that similar suggestion. So yes. um, it, that's interesting uh, that, you know, and that's maybe the fun thing about nature is the way different, two completely different animals can kind of sound the same like yeah. that. But you might mention the reason that you thought it was an owl was because of the methodic nature of yeah. the, the repetition. Yeah. It, 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 Would a fox be that repetitive? I. I don't know enough about foxes. Uh, we've only, I haven't heard them in, in our neighborhood, but we've seen them. They show up on the deck of a house and, and, and in our case was uh, on, in, in the driveway. Uh, but yeah, the, re, the, the, spe, the reason for me going with a, a baby great horned owl was the repetitiveness of it, just almost like a metronome. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of, you know, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Feed me. Yeah. Feed me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that would be something for Clayton to listen for, that if he hears the red fox again and see if it, is if that, it is that methodical mm-hmm. repetition. Yeah. I, I, and as, as I say, uh, that fox behavior may include something like that, a sort of a territorial call, but I would think it's more of a, they would be more like other dogs and, and coyotes and such. All right. It would be periodic, but not that repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Next, we've got Francis and Natchez. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I think everybody's hit upon the point that I was going to hit upon. Uh, it's the fox. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I live out in Kingston out here, and uh, 
I hear it all the time. And, and, and it's, uh, I say, a young fox or uh, a young fox. Okay. But I wanted to add a little humor uh, to the uh, show today. Uh, I was deer hunting a few years ago, and I was up in a prop-up stand, and it was a tree beside me, and I saw these squirrels playing. And uh, I said, I'm going to just sit here and see how close these squirrels are going to get to me. The squirrel actually jumped on me. He thought I was a pine. <laughs> I don't know who came unglued. It was a squirrel with me. And I looked down, and he fell and hit the ground. <laughs> I, I never will forget that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Francis, all right, help us with this. When you hear the fox, is it repetitive, and is it like Steve describes it like a metronome? It's very regular and an even space between the repetitions. Yes, it is. Okay. It is. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. In 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 kind of a line with that, I had uh, one morning. I was woken up very very early, about three o'clock, and there was a moaning outside my bedroom window. And I looked out there, and there was something big and furry under a sweet gum tree. It was pouring rain, and he was trying to get. Obviously, the animal was trying to get out of the rain, and it was this sound like ooh. You know, sounding just like these Bigfoot calls that you hear on the on t- on these television shows where they never see the thing, and uh, so I p- shined a flashlight on it, and it turned out to be the biggest coyote I've ever seen, hmm. and and it walked in the rain, looking at me very angrily as I as it walked by the window, and uh, so I looked up the calls, and there is a uh, coyotes have over 50 different calls, and but the one that sounded closest was one that was recorded at Camp Shelby and was called a Bigfoot. Hmm. So, so if we hear big feet, they're probably uh, coyotes. Right. But, but believe it or not, the first Bigfoot sighting ever in this country was recorded right here in Natchez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Something to think about. Yeah. So was that a coyote or a fox? <laughs> All right, uh, Francis, thanks for calling in today. Appreciate your call. It, you know, regardless of what it was, it, it's kind of a creepy sounding uh, and des- sounds, you know, when you said the for food thing, that really, you could feel that. that yeah. They, that was, it, they're wanting something no matter if, what it, it is. It does. Uh, and if it's, uh, it, that's why he's, uh, a young fox would, would make, at least to my way of thinking, would make sense. That it's out there, out there calling. Uh, but it is, you know, there are certain sounds that sound editors on programs will use, and they don't care what country they come from or mm-hmm. where they belong. They've, you know, even nowadays, mystery movies set in the United States have British tawny owls calling. <laughs> uh, and and of course, there's also things like common loons. You know, a, a, a water bird uh, found in places like the reservoir during the winter gets used in the jungle all the time just because of the way it sounds. Oh, we do that sometimes at Creature Conference, have some very unusual animals in the background. Yeah. All right, uh, let's stay on the phone lines. We've got next Rebecca, who's called in from Pearl River County this morning. Go ahead, Rebecca. You're on the air with us. Oh, thank you for taking my call. I live in the very, very north end of Pearl River County, right along Highway 13, and was very surprised to see a very large, probably female eagle, sitting in the middle of my goat field next to a, a, a casualty, actually, a small baby that we think probably a coyote had gotten. And I actually thought it was 
a person sitting there. It was that large until mm-hmm. I walked up on it. And my son is in the Coast Guard in Alaska, so up there there's probably more eagles than people, and it just didn't occur to me that's what it was. And there's no major water source other than ponds and maybe a few small lakes. Um, and it, it, I took a picture of it. It flew up in the tree and kind of sat there and looked at me for a while. And then I didn't see it again and thought it was just kind of a maybe oddball. But since I've seen it maybe three more times, same area, either cruising the I-59 in, in the very north end of Pearl River County. And it took a dive at uh, one of our chickens out in the pasture. So I just thought that was a rather odd place for it to be kind of inland and not around a, a major river or or water source how common is that i mean i'm hoping to see it again unless it starts picking off our chickens well uh i would uh if you are having problems with it i'd definitely call the the uh wildlife people state or federal because it's it's uh big time fines and stuff for messing with it uh, oh, I would absolutely never, uh, yeah. never harm them. Uh, I know we had uh, an issue with one of the neighbors taking shots at hawks. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, well, turned, I turned him in. Yeah, well, good. good for you. Good. Uh, does is this does this uh, does this eagle have a white head or tail? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It, and it's a it's a large. It's probably a female. I mean that it was huge. That it was such a a large bird. And I walked up probably within twenty feet of it before it left the ground and went up into the tree and uh yeah it's it's very mature and it's probably a female yeah uh yeah as uh for the rest of the listeners with birds of prey almost all of them the female is usually bigger and noticeably so and that includes owls hawks eagles uh she she is uh normally a, a good deal bigger than the than the male probably having something to do with uh uh Fat reserves for egg laying and 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 uh, incubating and and such, since she's going to wind up staying in the nest pretty much all the time. Uh, uh, probably she just hasn't found a mate yet, or maybe is just just going you know wide ranging. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I think we tend to not see the eagles so much at a regular place is because that they are pretty wide ranging. You've been lucky to have it kind of take up residence near you. Apparently it's finding something to eat. They'll they'll even though they're considered uh scientifically to be what's known as fish eagles, uh being near water and scooping up fish. In fact the only item of prey that I've seen uh, an eagle person personally take was a big catfish out at the reservoir. And saw it swoop and catch one. Uh, is is uh, they they'll eat anything, and uh, if I, I suspect, uh, looking at a possible coyote kill or uh, attempt, it, it, it's going to take it just as just as quickly as anything else. All right, uh, Rebecca, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We need to take another break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest. It's Steve Peterson, one of our resident bird experts on Creature Comforts. Also, we got a couple of phone calls to get to and some open phone lines. If you'd like to call in to join our conversation this morning, the phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more, so stay tuned. 
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest today, one of our favorite bird watchers, it's Steve Peterson. We're talking about eagles here in Mississippi, but also taking some phone calls and talking about a number of things. Uh, let's uh, Before we uh, head back to the phone line, so Dee and Bill, if you could hold on for just a few minutes. Uh, Steve, what are some of the other uh, birds that, uh, that people might be seeing in and around this time of year? Well, I'd, I have uh, been noticing... Uh, locally, a lot of double-crested cormorants that are, these are the birds that uh, that scoop down and, and get a lot of fish. In fact, I think uh, catfish farmers are not too fond of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, I've noticed they're coming in to roost uh, over in the park. Uh, they're the ones, they always remind me of the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz <laughs> when you see them flying off along the, you know, at the horizon. Uh, it shows how good that movie is, you know. By the way, uh, but yeah, there's they're they're fish eating birds, and uh, you know our our subject of the day, eagles, is gonna they they're likely to harass some of them if they're up close. You will see a lot of them on the reservoir, along with uh, a lot of gulls. To, uh, you know, a lot of people call gulls seagulls, but. They they don't really. There's only a few of them that are actually out to sea. Hmm. Uh, ones the ones we get are coming from uh, the interior of North America, but we're getting several of them, especially up at the reservoir and different uh, different place, different lakes around around the, the uh, state, and of course down on the Gulf Coast. Uh, we're seeing things like up here ring-billed gulls and uh, herring gulls and you know, every once in a while, there's some rarity that uh, that'll show up, but uh, those are all over the place. All right, uh, let's uh, go back to the phone lines. Dee's called in from Greenwood. Good morning, Dee. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm traveling, so I might get we might get cut off. But I was calling to say that I have a fire stick on my TV, and I watch Midsummer Murders almost every day <laughs> on YouTube. And on almost half, uh, maybe over half of those shows, there's that sound. And I, I too thought it was an owl, that screeching sound. Uh huh. So um, I just wondered uh, how it, it's, it's really a fox. Is that right? A mammal? We're thinking so. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, the, <laughs> with Midsummer Murders is going to have if you're if it's at night. You'll have the uh, they'll have the tawny owl, which is kind of goes whoo whoo, and yeah. kind of a kiwik, which is the female, and then yeah. the fox is going to sound a, a somewhat harsher than mm-hmm. uh, than the uh, the clip that we played, uh, which uh, that kind of it's uh, supposedly a male fox barking, kind of a. Rawr. Oh wow! And. Well, uh, 
<clears throat> and uh, that is a staple in every one of the British murder mysteries. You cannot <laughs> have have a night scene without those things calling. Yeah, yeah. It's in every one of those Midsummer nights. Yeah, okay. yeah. I just wanted to let you know, and I love Midsummer Murder. I love the beef, uh, right. excuse me, the British movies. It's it's Midsummer's been going on for uh, I think twenty years now, I believe. Yeah. All right, Dee, thanks for your call. Good to hear from you. Um, you know, and I think that speaks to them because, as I said, that's I could see why they would use that. That is a a call or a sound that seems to indicate. Again, someone wanting someone, someone, something wanting something or in distress. So I could see yeah. where, you know, Hollywood or, or movie and TV makers might kind of borrow it because it, and, and again, I, I don't know that they're overly concerned. It's like, that's the sound we want. We don't care that, that it's yeah, really not coming from here. You that, know? Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of the old jungle movies had a lot of great sounds, but they weren't jungle, jungle animals. You know, they were some other kind of. Animal. Oh, and now we've talked about before, the eagle does not have a particularly regal sound. No, it's a... And it's so a, they use the red-tailed hawk. Yeah, they them. normally use a red-tailed hawk for an eagle or if you're in the desert and uh, and you, they see vultures circling, uh, 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 they'll use the red-tailed hawk for that also. And, and by the way, vultures circling don't mean that something's dead. They're just riding an updraft of air to get up higher. It's when the vultures are perched that something's dead. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Bill on the line from Greenwood. Bill, always glad to hear from you. Go ahead. Oh, how y'all doing? Uh, I got a comment. I got a question about a dub, but first I'd like to comment on the uh, uh, the crazy saying all these years we've been uh, thinking that it was some gigantic man-like creature, but it was really Wiley the Coyote. <laughs> 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 More likely, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, the other day it was real warm and uh, sunny, about early in the afternoon, and I heard this uh, creature. This, uh, I knew it was a dove, and we had a little Inca doves here, and we had the morning dove, but it was making a sound sort of like, woo, 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 It was making a very loud noise, but I knew it was a dove. But I never have heard it here before. I was wondering, would that be another dove, like the Inca dove, that's taking up residence here, or would it maybe just passing through? Just uh, possibly the uh, Eurasian collared dove, which are, are are increasing in numbers around here. I I'm not that familiar with their call, but that would be one to perhaps Google uh, the Eurasian collared dove and see if it, they've got sounds. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Usually the uh, the Macaulay Laboratory of uh, Natural Sounds at Cornell University uh, will will have interest a good number of calls. In fact, that that particular lab is where Hollywood got a lot of its uh, bird calls from back in the day. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there any uh, thing about the passenger pigeon come up yet? Any more news? Uh, no, other than the last I heard, they were extinct. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your call, Bill. Good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines, so if you'd like to join our conversation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. You know, they say sometimes a little knowledge is dangerous and Steve, I remember from a previous show that 
one eagle you can help identify it because it wears socks. Is and I can't remember which one it is. Is, is it the bald eagle? Uh, Libby, Libby oh, yeah, is the that's expert on, my on eagle socks. <laughs> eagle socks, yeah. yeah. The bald eagle wears short pants. Short pants, yeah. that's and what it is. Okay. Yes. And uh, their socks are golden, if you really want. Yeah, like your golden eagles, even though he's a bald eagle. But they've got those bright orange legs and short pants so that you notice the leg. But the golden eagle is, um, and he doesn't, doesn't fish as much or get in the water as much. And his, he's got long pants. His feathers go down even between the toes a little bit. So that's kind of a, a quick, easy way if you're in a place that might have golden eagles and might have immature balls, then that's a quick thing to do is just look at those legs. And you're saying the bald eagle has the short pants because he does get down in the water. That gets, was the rationale yeah. I was always it being a, yeah, Being a fish eagle, uh, yeah. that it, it's, you don't wanna, it's normally going to get after, after stuff in the water. You don't want to fly around, I guess, with wet feathers all yeah. the time. <laughs> I sure wouldn't. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Steve, you said the the population of the eagle population in Mississippi is is doing well. I think you mentioned earlier. Yeah, something like we think about a hundred pairs so far. And when I when we first moved here to Mississippi back in the sixties, I mean, if you saw an eagle, that was a thing. That was you know headline news. Uh, so. Uh, nowadays, if you know we're birding in this area, in this area, pretty much anywhere, a bald eagle, you check it off, you, you make a note whether it's an adult or immature, uh, such like that. But it's not something that you get on the phone and call everybody about. Yeah, so Nick Winstead from the Mississippi mm-hmm. Museum of Natural Science estimated about a hundred nesting pair. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, let's get one call in before our next break, and it'll be Bill, who's called in from Macomb. Bill, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, hey, y'all were talking about the uh, location of eagles here and there. Mm-hmm. I know where's a, a mass collection of them uh, down around east of Moss Point, Mississippi, on uh, uh, the south side of Highway 90. There's a, a gun range out there, and uh, they're on every other high-powered line, every, every other post. On these high-powered, way up in the air uh, lines, there's a big giant nest, and there's just eagles everywhere down there. They just got such an abundance of, you know, everything. And uh, lots I, of good I, habitat along the Pascagoula. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is. It's just a, I, I was just amazed at it. They just just every other post they had a big giant nest. Uh, so I just thought throw that in. Uh, we got they're going good. We got on the Boca Chula River here. Uh, if folks would quit shooting them and selling their feet, but uh, it's terrible. But we got them right here in Macomb and uh, this county, Watha uh, County. All right. Uh, okay. Great. Hey, Thanks, Bill. The show. Great, Bill. Thanks for uh, adding to our show this morning. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back. We've got Sue from Bowman on the line. We'll get to her call. There's a chance for your call as well if you'd like to join us. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. Our phone number is one 672 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up the program after this, so stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. 
You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Steve Peterson. We've been talking about birds, primarily about eagles, and uh, glad to say we've gotten several reports of folks uh, seeing eagles around the state. And as Steve reported, uh, the eagle population here in Mississippi is doing quite well, and that's always good news. Uh, before we head out to something else, let's go back to the phones and our friend Sue is on the line from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Go ahead. Hi. I'd like to ask your guest. I'm looking out my office window with this cold, rainy, windy weather, and I'm wondering how do songbirds and hummingbirds and any bird survive this weather without being able to get out and eat for days at a time? And do they have any fat stores? Do they have a safe places to, to hide? I mean, how do they survive this kind of weather? Uh, they do a pretty good job of it. They'll, they will sit down, well, not sit down, but, you know, say the small ones get in a branch somewhere, fluff their feathers up, keep their body heat in under those feathers, uh, just like us wearing a down coat. And, uh, they will, you know, depend on their, on their fat reserves. This is, if you, if you watch some of the smaller winter birds, like the, the white-throated sparrows and some of the other birds, the, the robins and stuff, which are so much more plentiful during the winter here, they're always stoking up uh, on food. They're, they're, they just don't stop at all until it's time to go to roost. So, uh, so that's that's one of the the specialties. Of course, with our hummingbirds, most of the ones that we have here during the summer are down in Central and South America right now, and probably won't start showing up until mid March. Uh, if you if you're out in the woods or something and you see the red buckeye blooming, then uh, and, and it's March. Not not earlier, but if it's March, then it's about time for hummingbirds to start showing up. Now, we do have overwintering hummingbirds, uh, probably as, as we get uh, warmer temperatures, you know, settling in and staying around. We, we are going to have uh, more and more of these uh, overwintering birds, most of which, interestingly enough, come from the western states. So uh, a species called the rufous hummingbird, one of the the most uh, prevalent of these winter hummers, is is uh, a western bird, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting why I, why they come over uh, to us in the east rather than heading south. But, but it just who it may be easier for them to use less energy. You know, Sue, I've got three different um, live oaks on our property, and I notice in these rainy days, uh, that's where the male cardinals are hanging out because I can see them. Mm -hmm. It's pretty dark and and, uh, shady in there, but I thought that's probably the most protected place for them. And then there were several little Carolina wrens on my porch this morning when it was raining hard. Yeah, well, Carolina wrens are going they're going to demand without a search warrant, you know, the, the best place to <laughs> mm-hmm. get. Well, uh, they they decided it was okay to sit on the porch yeah. this morning. Yeah, when with I my dog. When yes. I was a kid, my mother had to buy an extra bag of clothespins just for them to nest in every year. Oh, the bag. Yeah, yes. the bag. They would nest in the bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, Sue, good to hear from you. We've got some open phone lines and a couple minutes left on Creature Comforts. If you'd like to work in a phone call, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING, which is 1-877-672-7464. 
7464. You know, the shorebirds in the wintertime on the beach, um, when I go down to visit my brother, a couple of years ago I noticed uh, I saw a bird and it only had one leg. And I thought, well, you know, maybe something had happened to it. But then I noticed there were a number of them that only had one leg. And I wondered about it. And I was told that they tuck the other leg back up sort of close to their body. And again, that's kind of a a heat saving or a a, a way to stay warm. Exactly, exactly. If you think about shorebirds have long bare legs and so the the getting it out of where the heat can radiate off of it uh is just a good thing for them to do. So they rest that way. And of course, if something chases them that le- other leg's going to come down pretty quickly. Mhm. Uh, let's talk about bald eagle nests. Uh, give us, an, Steve, an idea of maybe size and what a, a, but a, what a bald eagle nest would look like. One In one word, huge. Uh, <laughs> you have some nests that uh, have been built up over years and years and years, and they will be like six feet from top to bottom mm. in some cases and, and, and will stay there really for generations almost of, of eagles. Unless, say, a storm knocks them down or, or like that. But they're generally built up of big sticks and lined with perhaps things like uh, pine twigs uh, with uh, some of the pine needles and, and, and such like that. I remember that back uh, a good many decades ago uh, seeing an eagle's nest on the coast. There was one off that you could see off of I-10, and it just was huge it, it was probably a good six feet high and we've had a couple recent ones that got uh, uh really too much publicity and they were they were huge also and the, and in fact the uh eagles would move away and move to a more secluded which brings up if uh, you know the the department of wildlife should know about an eagle nest if you know where it is but uh if you're posting something like it on Facebook, only give the county. You don't need any more information than that. The the people who need to know should know exactly where it is, but you, you don't want to cause a big traffic jam of people mm-hmm. because they're they're magnificent birds. Even though Ben Franklin didn't like them at all. He thought they were thieves and knaves. <laughs> uh but you know, people are going to want to see them. Um, and earlier we had the question about, you know, an, an, it was an old nest and whether a bird would revisit that or whatever. But it sounds like the eagles, if they get a good nest started, it might be something they would use year after year. Yes. And, and of course, there, you know, there's no way to definitely prove it on most of them unless you've got somehow have a tag or or a, or, or a band on the foot and can read the numbers from far away. But yes, they do tend to use the nest year after year. And, uh, uh, but then of course, something else might, might nest in them. It, a lot of, a lot of the bigger birds will use, uh, other species nests that, uh, and maybe they'll get turned out by another species later on in, in their lives. But, uh, these nests get, and, and one thing that it's, kind of interesting to see is so many of these birds that nest in big nests, whether they're eagles or herons or owls or something like that, they're constantly coming in and putting another stick in. (laughs) I mean, they have this sort of instinctive behavior to bring a stick home, which which turns out that they're keeping the nest up. Hmm. Uh, What about the lifespan of of eagles? I would say probably maybe eight to ten years in the wild. 
I'm sure there are, uh, I, I, you know, when it comes to birds of prey, they're pretty long-lived. Uh, a barred owl that I know of lived to be 23 years old before it died, and, but that was a captive bird. It was a, you know, impossible to release it as a back into the wild, so it was a rehab-type bird. And But it lived to be 23. Hmm. Uh, but I would say 8 to 10 years, maybe. And what about the family size? How many how many eggs would would hatch say in a given I year? I think here in Mississippi it's usually about two. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they may both chicks may not survive, especially if it's a lean year. There's a, a sometimes in in uh, birds of prey nests the older chick will kill the younger one, Ooh. or edge it out for uh, for its more than its share of food. So this is this is one reason why that the the call that was our fox call was uh what sounded like a great horned owl begging call and it's just constant. So they you know so they they're always that's why the the mouths are open and and they're trying to get as much food as and they shove and they don't have table manners but then they're not <laughs> supposed to. It's the squeak uh, squeaky the screechy wheel gets the grease in this exactly case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, so are they a tight family? You, you talked about, you know, generation. So could possibly a bird uh, be in a nest and then when its parents die that they would be using that same nest and it continue it, like It's that? possible. But boy, what's interesting with eagles is that some of the younger eagles, the still brown ones, the immatures, stay on as helpers for the, for the next, uh, next uh, brood of, of babies the next year. So they have been identified as, as help is staying around, around for a while. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and, and uh, our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, And our guest, Steve Peterson, I'm Kevin Farrell, start inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's autocorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.